Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. It wasn't a classic, but Manchester United are into the hat for the fourth round of the FA Cup. It won't be on any highlights reels in the future, but winning is the aim in cup competition and Rangnick's Red Devils got the job done. Aston Villa unfortunate though, they had a goal disallowed by VAR. Some say wrongly, others say rightly. Was Stevie G hard done by at Old Trafford? We'll discuss last night's final third round tie on today's podcast, as well as whether Villa could have a fellow fresh face through the door very soon to join new arrival Coutinho. They're looking to snap up a player from a Premier League rival. And speaking of the league, there is top flight action this evening as Southampton host Brentford. Are both sides already clear of the relegation scrap at this early stage of the season? All of that to come on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast, keeping you up to date with the English top flight seven days a week. My name's Niall and alongside me today, Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Morning, guys. How are you doing? You all right? Very well. And Joel Tudor's here as well. Morning to you, Joel. Morning, guys. Was last night like torture for you as a Manchester United fan watching that disjointed performance? Honestly, I think I'd rather watch the Derby 6-1 repeatedly than this boring (laughs) stuff that we're seeing right now, but... We'll go into it, but yeah, just about managed to keep my eyes focused on the game. It's been a good third round, all in all, aside from that final game last night, which I thought did leave a fair bit to be desired. And I was banging on about it on yesterday's Football Social Daily that the TV picks for this third round have been all wrong. They've picked all the wrong games. And Jim made a good point that, you know, the bigger teams are the teams that people want to watch. But in terms of the FA Cup... It's the variety which I think makes it so exciting. The likes of Chesterfield against Chelsea, you know, the likes of Kidderminster Harriers winning games against Reading. I think all in all, aside from last night's game, which wasn't great, Marley, I think this FA Cup third round has been one of the, the best segments of the FA Cup we've seen in years. Uh, well, yeah, not not for me, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as things go, I think I don't I don't get it when people say, you know, oh, the magic of the FA Cup's gone. Um, I don't. I don't agree with it. I don't agree that there's... Um, yeah, yeah, we might not see shocks every year, but shocks wouldn't be shocks if they happened every year. Like You wouldn't get a League One team going and toppling a Premier League team every year. It happens once every few years. That's why it's a shock. So there are going to be you know, three years out of four where like one Premier League team goes out to maybe a Championship team and everyone else eases through. But then you get years like this where Cambridge, not Newcastle out, um, you get uh, Chesterfield and and Swindon scoring against two of the best teams in the in the uh, in the world right now with with Man City and Chelsea, um, and then you get busted flushes like Man United uh, against Aston Villa, which was just a bit of a a bit of a slog last night. So you get a bit of everything. It's a mixed bag. You get Barrow, um, <laughs> you know, Barrow against Reading ending five four in extra time, and uh, Hull almost beating Everton, um, even though it wasn't it wasn't the greatest game. Um, and there's, there's there's countless others as well. You know, Kidderminster getting through to the fourth round. It was it was a good round of football, and uh, I I just feel like people mourn too much now. When when things when not huge things happen all the time, people just mourn. And I think it's just the ease of social media is to is to stick something on like oh the FA Cup's dead, blah blah blah. Let's get rid of it. And I just think it's a bit of a overreactionary to be honest. It's just an interesting dynamic, as you say. I think because we're exposed to so much football. Um, you kind of do get spoiled with it sometimes. But I think the FA Cup third round has been absolutely brilliant. And what's also been brilliant has been listening to you messaging us on our social media platforms, whether that be Instagram or Twitter, about how many podcasts you listen to 
in 2021. There's been a few of you who have got in touch to proclaim that you are the most dedicated Football Social Daily listener. Now, obviously, we love every single one of you that tunes into the podcast on a regular basis. We've had a message here all the way from Australia. Someone from Down Under, Ryan Good, has messaged into the podcast on Instagram to say... Just wondering if I come close to the top spot in terms of listening, boys. Love the podcast and love listening to Marley's Disgust in Newcastle. Nearly every podcast makes me happy as a Middlesbrough supporter from Down Under. Keep up the good work, boys. Love listening to you on my way to work every day. So someone's reveling in your... <laughs> unhappiness Marley Ryan seems to quite enjoy it he's enjoyed it so much that he's listened to 181 episodes for a total of 7,962 minutes that is some effort that is a good effort I'm, I'm just glad I'm here to uh, to provide people with with something to laugh at um, every now and again it's, it's obvious that he doesn't live in Middlesbrough um, being a Middlesbrough fan, because if you've been to Middlesbrough, you'll, you'll see why. I'd rather live in Australia as well if I was <laughs> if I was him. So, fair play to him. There's much less smog in uh, in the central coast of uh, Australia. So, fair play to him. I hope it's a lot sunnier than it is over there in, over there right now. Real champion effort, Ryan. Appreciate your message. And if you think that you've listened to more episodes, more minutes of the podcast over the last year or so than Ryan, then get in touch with us on social media. We are trying to find, albeit inadvertently, the most dedicated listener to this show. So it's at the Sports Social on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. And you can also find us on Facebook if you type into the search bar Sports Social. You can get us there. But first, let's get stuck into last night's game in the FA Cup, the final third round fixture. Uh, of the weekend, Monday night's game, Manchester United against Aston Villa. As I say, it wasn't a vintage Manchester United performance. It wasn't a an FA Cup classic, and nor did we expect it to be really. Two sides that we thought might be quite close uh, in terms of the outcome of the game, and that's exactly what it was. It wasn't convincing from your boys, Joel, Manchester United, but you got the job done. And I guess when it comes to knockout football in the FA Cup, that's all that matters, just to win, isn't it? Yeah, but with this kind of performance, I think every single Manchester United fan could have predicted how it was going to go. Exactly the line you said, it was a struggle, but we did it. Every single game, pretty much this season, I would say, has been a struggle, but we almost did it pretty much. Now we're seeming to be getting the results a little bit more, but the performances are just it's just so mundane. The best way I can describe it is just a flatline heart monitor, just not much goes on. Um I would say the big part of it is just how disjointed the midfield is. And I think when you watched Aston Villa yesterday, when they had some pretty decent quality midfielders in McGinn and Douglas Louise, you can actually see just how poor our midfield is compared to a team that actually has two pretty decent quality ones who are winning midfield battles way better than ours are. Um, and for the majority of the game, that was the case. And I think majority of United fans would definitely, definitely say that Aston Villa probably came away from Old Trafford with an undeserved loss because they played amazingly well. Um, they were creating way more chances than the United side were. Um, they dominated midfield much better. They were a little bit more defensively compact. They were playing football in a more structured way. Whereas when you look at United, it's almost like they're going against what Ragnick's actually asking them to do in terms of just... They just seem to be erratic. Everyone's everywhere. The, there's no composure I feel like the whole team seemed to be shot of confidence um no one really wants to take the ball yeah I mean well he changed system didn't he last night Joel because he came into Manchester United and we all discussed the four treble two that four two 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 where each of those sets of two players have got different roles two strikers two number tens or the inverted wingers he likes to call them two number tens and then two holding midfield players and it's all well and good and I think this is the discussion amongst a lot of people it's all well and good having a plan and having a system and trying to coach the players in that system but to coach players that aren't used to it into a certain style of playing is going to take some time probably time that Manchester United don't have right now and second of all sometimes you just need to bring in players that fit that system and it looks like at the moment United don't quite have the personnel they need to play in that way so he switched it up and played 4-2-3-1 and United did look a little bit more on it from the start they scored after eight minutes but do you think that that change of system after all we've heard about this Rangnick for treble two was kind of an indicator for you that the manager is willing to try new things to kind of find a spark somewhere yeah well with a four triple two you're obviously losing a player in the middle of the midfield so 
and I think we're not blessed with the best midfielders at the moment. So if you're going to sacrifice one of those and obviously replace them for a striker, usually it has been Ronaldo and Rashford or Cavani and whoever, we're going to suffer big time. I feel like right now, and considering the amount of leaks that are coming out in terms of um, the midfield interest in Heydara and Neves and all these different midfielders, is clear and it has been clear for a long time now that a new midfielder one that's real quality is needed because I think Rand is realizing that sacrificing that middle player and having to play two up front you can't get the service to them because we don't have the personnel to actually get it to them but aside from that I mean I don't feel as though that's one of the biggest issues right now it's just there seems to be a lot of issues in terms of body language and desire and effort just you know the simple fundamentals on a pitch which actually get the fans believing in the team a little bit because I've been monitoring just like what what all my United friends are saying and also what other people have been saying and it it seems to be that everyone seems to feel like this is one a really dislikable United side and I think it's just because one the shot of confidence and two if you shot of confidence it, it shows it's massively obvious um and we're doing the fundamentals so poorly wrong um alongside all these mad leaks but yeah i think in terms of the whole game the whole outcome of it i think villa was so undeserved to go away with nothing and when you see david de gea as one of the players of the match you know that something's wrong when you've got such quality ahead of him in terms of the quality, there are flickers of it around the team. And we said at the start of the season with the additions that Manchester United made, they should be making a challenge for the Premier League title. That hasn't been the case. And we've seen sort of the familiar faces uh, under Solskjaer and now Rangnick, Marley, kind of be the ones that, that are still there holding things together in a way. Uh, I guess Scott McTominay who I'm talking about because in recent weeks he's been the standout for Manchester United um, against Burnley he was very impressive and last night as well he had a good performance scored after eight minutes a good header from a Fred cross so it was the two central midfielders that combined for that goal do you think in terms of those two players who have been criticised unfairly I think at times and other times with just cause do you think those two should be getting more goals more often because we know McTominay does have a, a goal scoring element to him but he doesn't show it regularly enough for me and Fred well he's only scored one goal this season but he doesn't have a a hat full of goals under his belt for Manchester United. So do you think those two midfield players in particular should be getting on the score sheet more often for Manchester United? Um, To be honest, no, because I think where Man United need need to improve is is that sort of holding midfield area of just doing the doing the basic stuff like winning the ball back and and being solid um I'm, I'm not bothered about like if it was my team I'm not bothered about how many goals my defensive midfielders get um and these two for man united are the only real sort of holding midfielders that they've got McTominay and Fred are you know Matic is there as well but he's old and every time he gets on the pitch you know you could you could get round faster on a mobility scooter because he's he can barely move um, so you're looking at them and th- saying like you two are gonna be all we've got until we get someone probably not even in January probably the summer when they sort out the manager situation um, and you can go and sign a, a Ruben Neves or a Haidar or as like Joel mentioned or whoever you want to go and get. Um, so I'm not really bothered about how many goals they're getting. It was a good goal last night. Fred's cross was fantastic. McTominay um, put put it away nicely. Um, but for me, I'd rather have them do a 7 out of 10 performance every week in defensive midfield rather than scoring a goal one week and, and costing us two the next week um, if I was Man United or a Man United fan. So for me, just I'd just concentrate on your normal job. Um, not really bothered. When you've got this 4-2-2-2 formation, you know, it's so attacking that you've got you've pretty much got four goal scorers and, and match winners all piled up there so why why do you need goals for your defensive midfielder to win you a game like something's not working above them in my opinion I can see definitely what you're saying there and one player who also played last night that maybe isn't really um, at his best and there's no doubt about that really he's certainly not himself I feel like I suppose is what I'm trying to say is Marcus Rashford what's going on there Marley it was a bit of a bizarre moment in the second half yesterday where it seemed like he, he just didn't challenge for a loose ball. There was a shot that came in. It was saved by Martinez and the ball spilled away from the goalkeeper and Tyra Mings came in to try and clean up. The two got in each other's way and the ball was loose for a split second and 
he didn't go for it. He didn't charge it down, chase it down, try to latch onto it. It was quite unlike him, really. I don't think he would have got there anyway, but I suppose that's beyond the point. The point is, it's quite unusual to see Marcus Rashford not put the effort in to even make an attempt to get that ball. It seems like not something's bothering him. I don't think that's a fair thing to say, but it seems like something's off with him at the moment. Do you agree? Yeah, he's he's not having the best season. Um I'd stop well short of saying it's anything to do with what he's been doing in the the community and, you know, trying to sort the country out. So stop well short of that because it's simply not that. Um it's probably more to do with the fact that there's been a managerial change halfway through the season. There's been a different role he's been asked to play. There's a lot of players at Man United. Mm. It's probably... He's had surgery on an injury as well, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. He's, he's still coming you know, coming back into it from... from I mean, he was pretty much injured all of last season, wasn't he? And, and played through the pain barrier for for the team for six, six or seven months or something like that. So um, in terms of last night, I thought the incident you're talking about, I mean, I agree he wouldn't... Have, I don't think he would have got there. But it was strange to see him sort of give up on it. Um, but I think that is because he wanted the cutback from Greenwood um, in the first place. He, he didn't want Greenwood to shoot. Uh, he wanted the, the, the square ball across the box. And I think as soon as Greenwood shot, he went, oh, for God's sake, why has he had a shot? Because he, he got pretty tamely saved by Martinez. But then it then, then it bobbled out. So, like... Your reactions for for Rashford, he's, as soon as he sees the keeper make it and the, the shot got down his throat, he just thinks, "Oh Christ, the, the, like why is he shot there? Why why is he not passed it to me?" So I think it's natural for your head to dip a little bit in that situation. Then it spills loose, but by the time you you should have reacted to it, he's thinking, "Oh balls, I should have should have gone for that," but he's he's already walking, like he's already thinking. I should have had that ball earlier rather than go for a rebound. And like he probably wouldn't have got there, but if he'd challenged for it, it sets pan- even more panic between Mings and Martinez, and it could well have, have spilled even lo- even more loose, and then he could have got the ball and scored into an empty net. But luckily it didn't matter for the result because they, they squeezed through. So, you know, I think let's not sort of dissect it too much, even though, because, I mean, we won't, but the Man United fans probably will, so let's just leave that. Yeah, I think you're right to leave it there. And squeeze through was a good description because Aston Villa dominated the second half. Uh, in the first half, they hit the crossbar through Ollie Watkins and they forced De Gea into a couple of saves. But in the second half, they did have a couple of goals disallowed. One particularly was controversial. Danny Ings with a tap-in. Well, it came off his thigh, actually, from close range. There was some deliberation as to whether the goal should have stood. It all boiled down to, after three and a half minutes of VAR intervention, Joel, that Edinson Cavani was blocked on his way into the box, hence the decision was made. They were also forensically analysing whether Ollie Watkins got a touch as he tried to flick it back into the box towards Danny Ings. It was so hard to tell whether Watkins had got a touch, but in the end, as I say, all the focus came down to that incident on the edge of the box between Ramsey and Cavani, and Cavani was trying to make a run into the area, the Aston Villa player decided to kind of shimmy across and block his path, which I think is a foul, but there are a lot of people that don't agree with me. Needless to say, as a Manchester United fan, you probably do agree with me, but what do you make of that whole VAR situation from last night, the Villa goal that was disallowed? Do you think it should have stood, or are you in the same camp as me? Yeah, I don't understand what on what world that can't be a foul. If that's anywhere else on the pitch, if someone stands into your path when you're making, for example, a 1-2 and you want to get around your defender... That's always going to be a foul, and especially when it's in the box and referees are a little bit more like sensitive towards it. Um, if Cavani gets past him, he's probably blocking that cross. Um, and you can see when you do the slow-mo as well, I think it's Ramsey, isn't it, where he kind of just alters his position slightly just so he knows that Cavani's been obstructed. And um, yeah, I don't understand how there's any argument towards that. And I also don't understand why it took nearly four minutes to come to a, a decision. Um, especially when you see, you know, the other FA Cup games where a majority of them are not using VAR, which is quite strange. Surely you should have it across all games, but in this one in particular, I don't think it was needed, to be honest. I think Mike Oliver should have seen that straight away that he'd, he'd been obstructed and um, it took way too long to deliberate over it and caused, I think, one of the first long stoppages with VAR I've seen for quite a long time now. Um, I remember last season or the season before, it was just so draining every single time. Um, And then it suddenly got a little bit better in terms of making decisions faster this season. But 
yeah, this one was just, I think, I feel like it was just totally needless. But regardless of that VAR decision, I mean, Villa were very unlucky not to score either side of that VAR decision. So um, I don't think that was the kind of one that altered the tie for them because they had plenty of chances in the game to either win it or at least force a replay. Uh, a replay yeah, force a replay. Um, so, yeah, I think they were very unlucky just the whole game, to be honest. It would have been extra time, Joel. Yeah, and then if it was a draw, replay. No, no, the replays have been scrapped because no. the fixture can be Oh, is it in the third? Oh. Yes, it would have uh, been well, decided last night. Uh, yeah, well, then, oh, bloody hell, I wouldn't, have, <laughs> I wouldn't have fancied us on penalties with how we're playing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we probably we probably got away with that then. Yeah, no Cristiano Ronaldo for Manchester United last night due to a, a hip injury. We don't know how long he'll be out for, but as I say, Manchester United threw by a goal to nil over Aston Villa. And, you know, the elephant in the room was that disallowed goal, Marley. And just to close this one off... VAR in the FA Cup, there was a debate about it in the Match of the Day studio during the live broadcast. I've seen a few debates as well on social media. Obviously, VAR is only in operation at Premier League Stadia and not a blanket approach across the competition. Is that fair? Do you think that's the right way to go? Do you think we should either have VAR at every ground or at no ground at all? Or do you think it should be kept as it is? The VAR should stay at the Premier League grounds and we just carry on as we've been going. I can't work out why the FA have ever came to this decision that it's right to have uh, VAR at some grounds and not others. Like, how can you have that? As a competition's integrity goes, how can you have different rules for different games? It makes no sense. It's like saying, like giving Barrow two balls to go and try and beat, uh, to go try and beat Barnsley. Like, it's, it's just... It's, it's really, really weird. It makes no sense. Um, it's It's got to be for everyone or for no one. I would like it to be for no one because then we can have a reminder of what it was like to not have VAR at all. Um, and it's too cost prohibitive to, to have it everywhere. Obviously, you can't have it at grounds like Kidderminster or Barrow or Barnsley. Or, you know, they don't even have it in the Championship. So at a stage where League 1 and League 2 and non-league teams are still in the competition... Obviously, you can't have it, and it makes no sense financially to go and put it in every everywhere. So, why? I don't get why you would have it in just some games. It makes no sense to me. So, I guess one of the arguments that Gary Lineker, I think, very, very briefly touched upon last night on TV was that both teams that are playing in that game, Manchester United and Aston Villa, have agreed to use VAR. So, actually, between those two teams that's all that really matters. I mean, you know, if they both <sighs> agree to use the technology. What a, you know, what that a wafer-thin response that is, though. Yeah, like, I know what you mean, you, but it doesn't affect asked... Middlesbrough, does it? Who who these two sides, whoever had won last night, face Middlesbrough in the next round. I mean, it doesn't affect Middlesbrough, does it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I understand the point. But also, if you asked... Let's take... I'm going to keep going about this game for some reason. But if you asked... Uh, let's say Reading and Kid- Kidderminster, right? Would you say... If you ask them, would they both want VAR? Because I reckon Kidderminster would, because they might get a lucky handball in the box, and they'd probably say, we need all the help we can possibly get to be to go and beat Reading. Obviously, they did it anyway, but if you get if, if it was as simple as choosing VAR or not, I think if most teams, especially smaller teams who don't have as much of a chance of winning a game, I think they've got more interest in having VAR, because they might get a decision that a referee might miss, so they'd probably want it as well. But... You know, oh, Man United want it and Villa want it. But if Reading and Kidderminster both want it, then they can't have it because it's too expensive to go and put in at Reading's <laughs> ground. It makes no sense. And you can't do it physically. You can't do it because, you know, the draw's made a month in advance and it probably takes more than that to get VAR in the uh, in the stadium anyway. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I guess I actually saw one of our own pundits, Sam Lee, who you can hear on a Sunday Every now and again, uh, going over the weekend's Premier League matches with Fergal Brennan here on Football Social Daily, he posted on social media that if that was the case and they turned off VAR for all of the FA Cup games in which were played at Premier League grounds, that there's no doubt going to be a decision for offside or a handball or something and people would have just complained that they didn't turn it on when the technology was there. So I do feel like it's not, <laughs> yeah. not a very much Look, a win-win situation. Of course, and it's the same as like, you know, everyone's been calling for VAR to go ever since it came in. And if we did, if we did listen to that, the first week there'd be something like, oh, we should have had VAR because somebody's missed a leg-breaking challenge there. So obviously you're never going to get it right. 
but at least at least try, at least give it to everyone or nobody. You, you know, imagine if they turned around next season and said only the top six are going to have VAR in the stadium. Like, imagine that how much that'd kick off. It'd be like yeah. a Super League part two. But I've been anti-VAR ever since it was even suggested that it could be brought in for the exact reason that you mentioned. You're never going to get it right. We're trying to get everything right. It's just impossible to do it. It's, it's absolutely impossible. Yeah. It's like it's everything's subjective. It's like catching water with a sieve. <laughs> Things are going to slip through. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, that you get everything right. And it is subjective, as you say. And I think that that's part of the beauty of the game, that the decisions are made in the middle. That's part of the fabric of football. And we're trying to iron that out as best we can. But you're never going to get it 100%. Anyway, Manchester United beat Aston Villa last night at Old Trafford. It wasn't... Uh, a vintage display, as I say, but the 1-0 victory enough to send them into the fourth round in which they'll welcome Middlesbrough to Old Trafford. So Aston Villa beaten last night, but they are in advanced talks when it comes to a transfer. They're talking with Everton over one of their star players. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall. Joel Tudor, Marley Anderson are alongside me. And it's the January transfer window. We're now 11 days in to January, into the new year. And we've seen some deals already. It always feels like it's towards the end of the month that things start to hot up. But we've seen some good signings already, uh, including from Aston Villa, who have brought in Felipe Coutinho. And now Steven Gerrard is keen to bring in a player from a Premier League rival. Aston Villa allegedly are in advanced talks with Everton, over the signing of Luca Dean, the French fullback who is, I think, highly rated by many Premier League fans. Chelsea were supposedly keen, but they've dropped out of the race. Is this a good move for you, Joel, the signing of Luca Dean from Aston Villa? There's still a long way to go in this one, but certainly Villa are the front runners in terms of possibly signing him from Everton. Well, I think when this news first came out, everyone was pretty shocked that it was Aston Villa who were the first club named to actually be interested in him because I thought, and from what I've seen of him quite a lot of, um, he's been one of the standout left-backs in the league for a good couple of years now. Um, obviously, there's been some sort of rift with him and Benitez, shock, um, and clearly he's he's not happy at Everton, but I would have thought he would be targeting a Champions League club at least, you know, the likes of, for example, like Dortmund or these kind of clubs. Um, I'm sure even some a team like Spurs could do with a left-back like him, but it shows the intent that Villa are really going for in this January. Obviously, they've already secured Philippe Coutinho, which again was another pretty left-field uh, signing when everyone heard about it. But I think this is, is a top, top signing for them. I think it's a massive upgrade on uh, Matt Target at left-back. Um, obviously, Luca Dean's got pretty decent uh, stats in terms of his goals and assists from left back, um, which seems to be more and more important in the game as as compared to, for example, fifteen years ago, uh, fullbacks are becoming more and more the focal point at the moment, just in terms of how teams are playing. So, I think for Villa, especially considering how defensively poor they were under um, Dean Smith, obviously they've improved slightly under uh, Gerrard, but. I mean, they can still definitely improve a lot of areas in that um, in that defence. And I'll probably say that the left-back position is the one that they could probably do with them um, improving. But for £25 million, I think it's a, it's a absolute snipe considering the fact that most teams end up paying £30-40 million for a, a, a kind of guaranteed left-back who's been doing it all over Europe. And sometimes they don't even, they don't even uh, come off. So I think it's, it's a pretty decent coup for Villa that and it shows a lot of intent because already they've got Coutinho and Dean and they would have been probably linked with some of the better teams in the league maybe in the top six so it's a great signing for them if they can pull that off. Yeah still a way to go in the deal but advanced talks is what's being reported between Villa and Everton over the signing of Luca Dean and as Joel rightly points out, I think fullbacks are so important in the modern game and they're starting to warrant a much higher fee than they did even 10 or so years ago. I mean, you can just look at someone like Pep Guardiola and how much he's dropped on fullbacks over the years and just how important they've been to him. However, Luca Dean didn't play in the FA Cup third round game against Hull at the weekend, Marley. He says he wasn't selected by the manager Rafa Benitez. This is according to him on his Instagram. 
do you get that with Rafa sometimes? Having watched him at close hand being a Newcastle United supporter, is he a little bit old school like that? A bit icy at times? You know, if things aren't going well behind the scenes between you and the manager, he's not afraid to kind of cut his nose off to spite his face and, and drop you to prove a point. It feels like he's got that old school element about him. So there was no bad blood allegedly between the two, but just that the decision was made by the manager to drop him. Yeah, I get the feeling it was quite a um, a clear falling out, but not a, a toxic one. Um, I think Dina clearly doesn't agree with how uh, Everton have been setting up. I think... Obviously, Raf is a, a more defence-first manager. Lucas Dini is one of, probably the, one of the most attacking left-backs um, in the Premier League at the minute. So you're looking at that and thinking, you know, that's not quite a match. Um, you know, so the fact that Everton brought in um, Mikolenko straight away, like the first, I think it was the 1st or 2nd of, of January when he came in. I think they even announced it in, in December that they were signing him. So it was clear, like, clear that that was it, like the the... Uh, relationship had, had ran its course sort of thing so fair play to Dean fair play to both of them to be fair like, Everton are going to get a decent fee out of him um, they've probably said I don't know what the, the fee for Mikolenko was but I think it was less than 25-30 million that they're going to get for Dean so they saved a bit of cash there um, it is probably a downgrade but then they get rid of uh, a player that didn't want to play for them which is ultimately what every manager will probably decide um, the only thing is I mean Joel said that it's uh a bit of a surprise that he's going to Villa. I would probably agree. I think that's a bit of a sideways move in for him personally. I don't think Villa are going to do anything that Everton won't be aiming for at the same at the same time. They might get there, they might not um, next season or the season after. But I can't see I can't see Villa going in and smashing into the top six or or Everton really. So I do think it's a bit sideways. But if it's side sideways and you're happier as a player, then you probably don't see it as a sideways move. You probably see it as I'm going to go to Villa, I'm going to play with... Uh, I like what they're doing, I like the manager, for example. Uh, Gerard's got a good reputation. They've just signed Coutinho. Maybe it's that pull. Uh, I think Dinho played with Coutinho at, at Barcelona, so he knows how good he is firsthand. Um, so it's... For him personally, it's probably a slight step up because it's a fresh start and a new challenge and all the rest of it. So fair play to him. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, Chelsea were interested, as we say, but it looks like they're going to try and recall Emerson Palmieri now instead. And I think there's a lone player they've got out at Coventry called Ian Martson who can play um, in the midfield and defensive roles as well, sort of that wing-back position if necessary. So um, they do have options, at least Thomas Tuchel does. And instead of spending money, why not use the players they've, they've already got? That seems like the message from the powers that be at Chelsea, which is unusual for them. No doubt that they'll probably spend some money this January, though they, they often tend to. But as for Villa, they're in advanced talks with Everton over the signing of Luca Dean. A possible Premier League move for a player already in the division is Adama Traore, who allegedly could be on his way to Spurs from Wolverhampton Wanderers. What do you make of that, Joel? There's talk that Adama could be converted into a wing-back by Antonio Conte if this move happens. Stress it's only a rumour at the moment. Is this one you can see happening? I mean, would you guys be surprised to see Adama Traore as one of the best fullbacks in the league this time next year? <laughs> because I remember Victor Moses, he was on the fringes at, um, at Chelsea. Antonio Conte came in and he, I think he got in team of the year that year. He was unbelievable and obviously followed him to Inter Milan the following season, won the Scudetto with him. He made Matteo Damian look like... <laughs> Um, Maldini at fullback. I mean, I don't know what it is with Conte and fullbacks, but he seems to just sprinkle this magic dust on them and they seem to get playing exactly how he wants them to. Um, but just looking at Adama Traore's stats, I mean, considering he's a player who has the limelight, yeah, I know, considering he's a player who has such a, the limelight for all his, you know, lubing his oil on his arms and that kind of nonsense, he, he's, he's, he's not a guy who chips in with goals and assists at all so maybe this is kind of like the blessing in disguise for him in terms of, of positional change because he's not a player you want to play in your forward line if you're trying to either keep up in the Premier League or like Wolves are doing at the moment they're trying to break into at least the top eight and if you've got you know Raul Jimenez who's the guy for the goals and you've got Trincao who's probably going to go back to Barcelona at the end of the season you need another player who's going to chip in and he's not the guy. 
Um, and I think at fullback, he probably will be a little bit more effective because there's less pressure to actually provide, um, you know, these 10, 15 goals a season from from playing as a winger. Um, and they are struggling Tottenham in terms of a right-back position. Um, what's the fellow who they signed from Wolves again? Oh, Matt Doherty. Yeah, yeah. Apparently he was meant to be going the other way, but I don't think Spurs are keen on that. But he was obviously amazing when designing from Wolves and he just doesn't seem to have settled there as as he was playing at Wolves. Um, and they're struggling a lot for that position. So I think it could be a bit of a masterstroke from Conte. And to be honest, if they did sign him, I would not be surprised at all if he ends up making that position his own because I can imagine him trudging down that byline non-stop piling his way past all of the helpless left backs um so i think it could be a, a decent signing i feel like he's run his course a little bit of wolves now where he really peaked at that level where he was killing teams um on the wing but then like i said ultimately it comes down to what you're providing in terms of statistics and they're not looking good for him, so I think this could be the right move. The way I see it with the Damatrioria, we're still talking about potential. The guy's 25. Like, if you're still talking about potential at 25, you've got a problem. You've got a player who's who's not progressing as he should. Um, I do agree he's gone a little bit stale at Wolves. Um, a new challenge is probably what he needs. But the way I see it, I mean, I've, I've remembered, you know, back when he was at Middlesbrough, um, five, six years ago. And he, he's always had this pace. He's always had the pace, the power, the dribbling. He's always had that. Um, and he's never, ever had a crossing ability. He's never had any end product. Um, you mentioned there, like, he, he had... Um, a couple of seasons ago, he, he had the, the end product, finally. But now he hasn't. So, like, he's had no goals, no assists this season. Like, that's not a... It's not an anomaly. It's It's... It's proof that he's not creative enough. He hasn't he hasn't got the end product, um, and he needs that because the way I see it, you've took what five six years to try and teach him how to cross. How long is it going to teach him how to defend and be a wing back? Because he doesn't seem like the type of guy who learns things very quickly. Like we're still waiting for him to produce a good a good cross. And if you think about if you if you were to teach a player how to cross or how to defend, it would be quicker to teach a guy how to cross. And he, he hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been able to add anything new to his game in five or six years. So for Conte to then get him, if if if, if this does happen, if Conte gets him and then has to try and teach him how to defend, like, yeah, he did it with Victor Moses, but Victor Moses was hungry to get back into that Chelsea team because he was on the scrap heap and he was the only one who was there. So with Adama, if he came in for 40 million and then had to work and retrain as a wing-back from scratch, pretty much. Yeah, he's played there for Wolves, but not very well. Um, you know, I just don't see it. Don't see it working. I don't see that fee. Like we're talking like thirty, forty million here. I don't think that fee is very well spent on a player. You then have to teach to be a wing back. Um, I'd I'd probably back him more to be one of the supporting guys behind Kane. Like I mean, Lucas and and Son are playing there at the minute. He's not as good as any of them. So if you're looking in in the team, would he fit in there? Maybe. But with no goals and assists, I'd ag- I'd agree with that if that wasn't Conte. But just because of his track record, do you not think that it probably could it is most likely to work out? Because nearly every single player who he's signed, who's looked like they're finished, has ended up becoming such a massive player for every side he's used. But why why does he even need a wing back? Emerson's doing all right at wing. They back. don't really have much. Emerson's mm. doing fine at wing back. He's been in the team every every week. He's been he hasn't put a foot wrong. I he's don't not think. Conte signing though, is he? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Is he? Well, did he come in just before? I think he came just before Conte did. Yeah, he was in the summer. He came in the summer. I I feel like Spurs have done this a lot, though. Make signings that just don't do anything. And we won't talk about it because we're kind of running a bit short on time. But I was going to mention that they've had a £15 million bid from Ajax rejected for Steven Bergvine over the last 24 hours. And Steven Bergvine is is a player that hasn't either... Either really had a chance. I don't know if that's fair. I don't watch enough of Tottenham to make that that call. But it feels like if he did leave, it wouldn't be a, a, a great loss to them. And I mentioned this yesterday when we discussed Tangai and Dombele. I mean, Jedson Fernandez is a player that came in under uh, Jose Mourinho. It kind of came and went. I mean, it seems like they have a lot of players at Tottenham that just kind of come in, drift along and leave without really ever making a bit of an impact. So... Um, 
maybe that's something that they need to address because it feels like possibly Adama could be another one of those players. But happily be proved wrong at the moment. It is just rumours. Antonio Conte said to be preparing a bid to sign the Wolves winger. We'll wait and see on that one. That's it for the latest transfer news. There is Premier League action tonight. We'll talk about it next after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the show again. We are the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. We also have a Premier League preview show at the weekends. It comes out on a Friday night and delighted to say that this weekend I'll be joined by Sol Bamba, the current Middlesbrough defender who used to play for Leeds United and Leicester City, former Ivory Coast defender. So I'll be asking him about the Africa Cup of Nations and the impact that can have on Premier League sides. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that later on this week. But for now, time to talk about the Premier League game that takes place tonight, Southampton versus Brentford. It's a 7.45 kickoff. I'm pretty sure this is one of the rescheduled games. There'll need to be another rescheduled game in the near future as well. As for the second time, Everton against Leicester has been postponed this time due to coronavirus injuries and AFCON absences in the Leicester City camp so Everton versus Leicester is off but Southampton versus Brentford is set to go ahead it's 11 versus 14th not exactly the most tantalising of prospects this evening but we'll talk about it nonetheless Uh, Southampton can leapfrog Brentford with a win Joel do you think these two sides are already clear of fears of relegation or is it still too early to tell um, well, judging off the table, I feel like they're both in a pretty decent position in terms of, you know, for example, Brentford, I think they've been the most impressive one in terms of the promoted sides. Um, they've come into it, like I mentioned on many podcasts, they've come into the into the Premier League with a different mentality compared to many of them. I always remember, um, what's his name? What's the striker called again? <laughs> it was going nuts on the names. Yeah, Tony. Ivan Tony. I always remember when Ivan Tony at the start of the season said, you know, we're going to try and win the league. And even though it is a bit of a baffling statement, it actually shows that at least they're not trying to just survive in the league and become a yo-yo club. And that's kind of proven when you look at the table. I mean, 23 points, which is 12 points from safety, is a very good position to be in when you're just over halfway through the season. You'd probably suggest that they need another, say, four or five victories in the pretty much there or thereabouts in terms of securing the place next year. Um, Southampton, on the other hand, they are quite liable to have a big dip in form and go consecutively with no wins and it can get a little bit scrappy. I mean, they've only got four wins in 19. It's just the draws that are seemingly killing them at the moment, um, which was similar to how uh, Crystal Palace were at the start of the year, but they've started to churn out victories. And I think... Considering where Southampton were in terms of a few weeks ago, when they were seemingly really struggling in terms of trying to get victories, uh, that that win against West Ham a couple of weeks ago on Boxing Day, I think that was a massive turning point in their season. Um, because obviously they went on to draw against Tottenham. They were quite unlucky to come away with just a draw in that. And then obviously they won away to Swansea just recently. So they're in a, a pretty decent run of form at the moment. And it's, I guess it's testament to Harsen Hutel in terms of how he's come back from such adversity. I remember when he lost 9-0 to United and everyone thought he'd be done. And, <laughs> and he seemingly is, I bet you enjoyed that day, um, and he seemingly has just bounced back and credit to the owners as well for sticking by and backing him um, because he's proven that he's actually a pretty decently solid manager. And obviously, now that they've got new owners, um, they've had an owner who's wanting to wanting to sell the club for the last four years. Um, surely, maybe in January now, I don't know if they're going to make massive transfers because obviously it seems to be still kind of in that transitional phase of passing over the power. But um, if they can maintain this, I, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to stay up. They do look like they're in good form now. Um, and it just it's just a case of maintaining that spot because you don't want to become a yo-yo club, but Southampton have been in the Premier League for a good number of years now. Um, And if they can get that recruitment back, like we were discussing in another podcast, if they can get that recruitment and that uh, drive of young players from that very good youth system that they have, I mean, you can start looking up again. 
Um, but you know, like we like we always say, just a couple of bad form results, and suddenly that gap between 18th and 14th can start closing. So I wouldn't say the 100 clo- um, 100% clear. But judging on the past results, it's looking like they're starting to find form and find goals again, which was a bit of a, um, a difficulty for them a couple of weeks ago. I would say this because I'm biased, but I think that they've been lucky in the last three or four years that there have been worse teams than them. And that sounds like such a stupid thing to say, but I think with some of the form they've showed at times throughout the last three or four seasons, whilst that previous owner, as you mentioned, was trying to sell the club, I think they could easily, in in another season, have been sucked into a relegation battle. And it reminds me of when Bournemouth were in the Premier League. I always felt that they would get relegated and they stayed up for five years and then eventually their time came. It, it doesn't feel like it's going to be this season for Southampton, but they, they do need to improve because it feels like sometimes they go and get a result and then they'll go and get beaten 9-0. So... You know, it's just one of those things. And, and you mentioned Hasenhurtl, and I actually wanted to bring him up, Marley, because, you know, he hasn't been crying on the touchline this time, but he has been crying about something else in a different way. Um, earlier this week, he suggested that players signed by other Premier League clubs in January shouldn't be allowed to play in rescheduled games. Now, you had a game called off. When I say you, I mean Newcastle United against Southampton over Christmas. So by Ralph Hasenhurtl's logic... Kieran Trippier, who you've since signed in the January window, shouldn't be allowed to play in that rescheduled fixture. Is this just Ralph coming up with some sort of excuse? It's a bit of nonsense to me, because what does he want to do? All the players that leave in the January window, call them back, say, come and play for us for one game? Um, I don't get it. It's a nonsense opinion. It's never been the case ever. So why should it be now? What do you make of it? Well, as you can probably tell, I I don't... He hasn't got a point, has he? That's not how things work. It's... (laughs) You know, where do you draw the line? Like, you know, we we might have had like we might have had Callum Wilson injured for the original game. Do we wait until he's fit again to in January to to reschedule this game? Because we we would have had Callum Wilson, but now we don't. So do we wait then? Like, it's a silly thing. Um, but he's not the only manager saying it. I think David Moy said something similar. Um, so this like weird sort of fanciful rule is is spreading a little bit and he uh, you know, know what, says Go do on. you know what it is it's <laughs> that's the best way to describe it is utter it is. there's no other way to put it yeah he's uh he's panicking that uh, newcastle are going to go in and activate uh, uh, james ward prowse's uh release free or something like that so i'm all up for it bring on the buzzery <laughs> go and go and sign all southampton's <laughs> players before before uh the rescheduled game gets played because uh, I think that's what we do with, with Chris Wood at the minute. So it's uh, it's it's never going to happen. The Premier League are never going to say, you know what, you've got a point because the Premier League always, already hate that they're, they're rearranging all these games anyway. So to then bring in some weird rule that they've just made up on the spot would just look ridiculous and make a bit of a farce of the season, to be honest. And nobody needs that except... Uh, Southampton's manager in his little wildest dreams. <laughs> Talking of Ward Prowse, you just mentioned his name there. Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager, Joel, said that James Ward Prowse is the best free kick taker or set piece taker in the world. We've mentioned this on the podcast before about how good he is at set pieces. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, he's honestly, I think if you have a free kick specialist in your side, he's worth at least te- 10 points a season at a minimum just because. Even in ten points, you, no, you would say so though, because just in terms of the the course of the season, if if even if you're playing badly, and you've got someone in the last minute, you get a free kick and he can put it in from any point at any game. He's easily worth a good amount of points, and I think in a lot of games he saved them just purely from the back of getting a free kick in a dangerous area. Um, and to be honest. I wouldn't say he's like a vital player in terms of how he plays. He's a good player, but that free kick specialism he's got really elevates his game and makes him so important to his side. Um, and to be honest, in, in world football, you don't really get as many free kick specialists as you used to get. I remember like in the in the 2000s, I could name like 10 off the back of my head of players who really were the ones who you know like Beckham, Ronaldinho, um, Carlos, all of these guys they, they put a lot of effort into the game when it comes to it. Um, War Prowse is a bit of an anomaly when you look at the game now. I could only name probably three in terms of Messi being the outstanding one. 
War Prowse is 100% up there. And then after that, you'd probably say someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, maybe. Um, but <laughs> Shalanolu, is, is he still at Milan? Uh, yeah, He's yeah, always a good yeah, free yeah, kick was, taker. Yeah. I mean, there must be a Juninho type out there. I mean, for him to say that Ward Prowse is the best free kick taker in the world um, is a big claim because there must be someone in the Brazilian league or the Paraguay league that scored 50 free kicks or something. Oh, in the Brazilian <laughs> league. Oh, in the Brazilian league, they're scoring absolute knuckleballs from 40 yards. <laughs> I guarantee that. But um, no, not in Europe. It's, it's very far and few between. And I miss that, to be honest, because... Um, yeah, everyone used to get up out the feet when a free kick specialist like even I remember when Ronaldo was at United and obviously his conversion was a little bit better at United than it was at Madrid but every, it made everyone get out of the seat because you knew that regardless of how shit you're playing in the game your player can get you out of it through just one uh, set piece um, and it's 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 a shame that it's kind of died out. The art has died out slightly, but um, yeah, the fact that we can't think of many off the top of our heads clearly shows that War Prowse is up there. And I know you, I know you're fighting it, uh, Niall, with your Pompey head <laughs> on, but <laughs> you you got to just take it. He is he is a great free kick taker. Yeah, he is. I've said this before. You have to give him credit. He's very good from a dead ball situation, but I'm not sure he offers a great deal else. But I mean, Southampton fans would obviously disagree with me. I'm uh, loath to give him any sort. Of- credit for obvious reasons um i'm sure he'll probably bang one in tonight now i've said that southampton play brentford 745 this evening who's going to win this one marley uh don't know mate uh, <laughs> nice one, marley. i i don't know it's just it's one of them games i'm, I'm going to watch a, a non-league game tonight so i'm not going to be tuning in to watch it oh really where are you off to i'm off to hide um I'm, I'm seeing Matlock Town versus Hyde because um, my my wife's cousin plays for Matlock, so we're uh, we're off there to just spend our freezing cold Tuesday night there. So I won't be tuning in to watch James Ward Prowse whip a free kick past uh, Fernandez in the Brentford goal. I'm afraid we need we need a photo on the sports social Twitter page of you with a bovril <laughs> and a pie and a pint. I, <laughs> they do they do hot vimto at Hyde. It's uh, it's very good. hot vimto. Has everyone got a cold hot or something? Vimto. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Lovely stuff, right? Marley will be at the non-league game. You'll probably be tuning in to the Premier League game tonight. Brentford take on Southampton at St. Mary's. That one kicks off 7.45. That's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. Cheers, Joel. Cheers, Marley. Enjoy the game tonight. And um, don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow as well with another episode looking ahead to tomorrow night's Premier League game because there is a fixture tomorrow, as well as recapping what happens in tonight's clash between Saints and the Bees. But that's it for today. We'll speak to you next time on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.